Welcome to Standout Life, a podcast dedicated to living boldly amongst the busyness. My name's Ali Hill, and as a psychologist, I love asking people questions. And I thought, what better way to do this than to get the people I admire into a studio to share their stories. This podcast is our corner of the world where all of us can dive deep into what it takes to live a standout life. Driven by her own path into health and wellness, Catherine is an advocate for individuals making a shift in their own health journey. Naturopath, nutritionist, author, mother and host of podcast called The Shift. Catherine shares on this episode the importance of gut health. We talk a little bit about microbiomes and the connection between gut health and emotions or your mood. We talk about the role of decision-making, particularly when it comes to your own health. And Catherine shares her tips for finding energy amongst the busyness of her own life. Passionate about helping other humans to live an inspired life. You will hear both the science and the personal stories from today's guest, the driven Catherine Maslin. Catherine, welcome to the podcast. It's great to be connecting with you over Skype. Unfortunately, we can't get you into a studio, but definitely wanted to make the time to have this conversation with you. Thanks for having me. Look, there's so much around health that I know that you have to share after 12 years in the industry. But when it comes to health, often we have a very, you know, unique understanding. And whilst it's a term we 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 say, you know, fairly commonly, it can have a different meaning for different people. So I'm going to start by asking you, what does that term health mean to you? So health to me means that you feel good in your body, mind and spirit you know, that you're living your life and not just existing um, and that you're thriving. So that's what health means to me. And it's going to be different for every single person, as you say. But to me, it means that you're thriving, you're living um, and you're not just in survival mode. And it's fascinating that you talk about those three kind of areas of, um, you know, it's, it's both body, mind and spirit and the combination of those. Is that something that you see uh, weaves into what it actually means to be healthy, to live, have a sense of health in your in your life. Absolutely, and I mean, we we are body, mind, and spirit. You know, you can't separate them out. There is not one without the other. So, if you want to be healthy, you need to be addressing all of these three areas. And I feel like a lot of people are really good at the body part, <laughs> the mind part, maybe not so much. But then the other side of things, the more spirituality, people can neglect too. So, we need to be balanced in all three, enable to be thriving. Yeah, I agree with you. I think often when we think about health, it is often the physical side of it. It's what we're eating. It's how we're moving. Um, maybe we might look at how we're feeling or what our head is saying. And then the spiritual side feels a little bit woo-woo or we'll get around to that down the track. I'm interested, what led you to want to pursue a career or a direction in the health field for yourself? Okay, so there's a bit of a story behind it, I guess, as there often is. Um, So when I was very young, um, in a nutshell, I grew up in a home where there was domestic violence. So I had quite a turbulent upbringing, quite a traumatic childhood. And as a result of that, when I was 15 years old, um, I left school. Um, I got into quite a lot of drug use and I actually ended up addicted to heroin and living on the streets of Melbourne at the age of 15. So that went on for probably about six months or so. And I was very fortunate to have a friend of mine who was moving to far north Queensland from Melbourne with her mother. And uh, they asked me to go 
go with them. Luckily, my mum agreed and I ended up in North Queensland at the age of 15. So living in the rainforest there, um, I met a family and there was a beautiful woman called Jenny and she, I guess she was like a second mum to me and we became really close. But Jenny had a disease called lupus, um, which is an autoimmune disease. And it was the first time, I guess, that I'd really experienced somebody being unwell. And, you know, through the months and years, I noticed that Jenny got sicker and sicker, but her medication cabinet just grew and grew, but it didn't really help her and she wasn't getting any better. So that really made me think, oh, there's got to be a better way than this. And it just so happened I was in a bookstore and I stumbled across a book on herbal medicine and I read it and I thought, why doesn't anybody know about this stuff? Like, why isn't, why aren't more people utilizing these amazing herbs? And I fell in love with it. And I went on to study naturopathy from there. So unfortunately, while I was studying, Jenny passed away. She was only 43 years old. Um, and it really just strengthened my resolve to go, you know what, like we've, there's a different path we can be taking here. And I've just been in love with herbal medicine and natural health ever since. Powerful story, powerful story to have that really personal kind of connection to what it might mean and what difference that might make to someone's life. I want to dive back in when you talked about, you know, obviously being 15, um, being out of home, obviously connecting into the world of drugs and then having those, that, that connection to go, hey, I'm be supportive, go up to, to far north Queensland. How did you navigate, I guess, your own health and that being your mind, body and spirit throughout that time for yourself? So it took a number of years. I think being in the rainforest was very healing on, on reflection. You know, being out of the city, away from, you know, that environment was one of the very best things for me. But I didn't really begin my proper healing until I started studying naturopathy. And this is when I started to get exposed to different therapists, different people. Um, because before that, really, you know, I'd been 15 years old, living in North Queensland, probably drinking too much, smoking marijuana, like, and that's what you sort of did up there when, when you were young. I was just thinking North Queensland, drinking, smoking. <laughs> yeah, so it was sort of like um, obviously a much better situation than Melbourne, but still not a healthy way to be living, you know. So it really wasn't until I started studying naturopathy and started looking at some of my own stuff and making these discoveries that I began that healing journey. Um, and, it, you know, I'm still on the journey. The journey never ends. I've done a lot of healing and come a long way, but I feel like sometimes people think they need to be fixed. They need to think that, well, all right, I've, I've done all the therapy that I need and I've, you know, seen all the people and I'm better now and I'm over that and I'm through that. And I think what's really important to understand is that we're always on a journey and uh, it's okay for there to be ups and downs throughout that. The point is that you want to just have that awareness around it and have a good support team so that you can continue moving through. And I think that's such a critical message and in some ways it's it's both liberating and frustrating at the same time, right? Because we do want this for you. We do want this cure. We do want to know if I do my 12 sessions with a psychologist or if I do, you know, my my, yeah. my 20 sessions with my personal trainer, then I can tick that box and I've and I've gotten to the end and then I can just get on and not have to worry about health anymore. But the reality is for everyone, it is an on, ongoing journey to, to get to yeah. that. Did you realise, was there a conscious, I guess, awareness even once you started the study that it was important for you to start to look at your own health? And I think it's interesting that sometimes it's through someone else's, you know, um, disease or struggles that, that, you know, open that awareness for you. And that can be the tr true for many of us where we're wanting to help other people and, and then realizing that actually, 
you know, it's really important that we also look after ourselves along the way as well. Was that a conscious awareness for you at the time when you were studying? Yeah, it, it definitely was. And I guess it was something that it didn't happen overnight. So I didn't go from, you know, um, eating corn chips and partying to just like purism. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm still not a purist today. Um, but it's it was about really just discovery because when I was studying at university, every week we were being inspired by new research, new evidence, new stuff. And it was just like, oh my goodness, like I can't believe that you know, we've been told that saturated fat has been bad all these years, but it's not. And all of these discoveries started coming up. And this is where looking at that mind-body-spirit. So physically, I was discovering things about changing my diet and eating organic. I was working at an organic farmer's market, so I was really in that culture of health. Um, and then mental health-wise, I was working through some of my emotional stuff with that. And I really kind of tapped into the spiritual stuff while I was studying too. And this is where, you know, I've seen a lot of energetic healers, a lot of intuitive people. And I'm really quite strongly into that field of healing as well. Um, and looking at all of the areas of myself, you know, I graduated 12 years ago and, you know, I've, I've still been on a healing journey. It's really interesting the way that things unfold, I guess. Absolutely. For yourself, not only through your own journey, but in the 12 years that you've been working alongside individuals and, and you mentioned just before that you've personally seen over 5,000 people in your in your career, which is a huge amount of um, people and background. I really am interested in the connection between emotional experiences and our physical responses to that. How have you like, how do you see that connection or how do you describe that in, whether it's in the people that you work with, um, but also even in your own journey where we might be holding something back emotionally um, and some of it's trauma, some of it's uh, tough childhood experiences, but some of it's not. Some of it can just be a sense of, you know, anxiety or uh, self-confidence. Where do you see that connection with our, you know, our physicality as well? I think it's really important for people to get educated and understand how their emotions affect their health because this is an area that you see all of the time people come in and they want to change the diet but they don't want to look at their shit they don't want to look at their emotional stuff totally. or their baggage totally. <laughs> if we can just avoid yeah. that give me the kale I'm fine right <laughs> well that's right you know I and you see it all the time these people they drink all the kale smoothies they're doing yoga five times a week but inside they're dead they're not they haven't dealt with their emotional stuff and they're not looking at their things and so what I say to people is like when uh, you're nervous, where do you feel it? Like straight away it's in your gut. When you're down, you feel it as a heaviness in your body. So if you look at it from that simplistic sense, that emotions fit, literally directly affect the health of the physical body and the physiology of the physical body, then there's definitely that. And then I'm a really firm believer that emotions can cause and contribute to illness as well. There's good research to back this up too. Um, we know, for instance, that people, more people have heart attacks after heartbreak occurs in their life. So there's things like that. But it's looking at that we're more than just our skin and bones. You know, we are mind, body, spirit. And when we have an emotional reaction, that's going to trigger a heap of thoughts. And those thoughts may not be very positive and they're going to have an effect on the body. Another really good example for people that 
can't see the link to easily is looking at the placebo and the SIBO effect. So the placebo effect being obviously when you take something and it might not actually be the drug, but you get better anyway. So what doctors then went was, well, we've got to really account for the placebo effect because we don't want that to happen. Whereas in our practice, we say, no, no, we want as much placebo effect as possible because if your mind can change your health on its own, then that's phenomenal. And the opposite of the placebo effect is the nocebo effect. And this is where if you take a medication and you think it will cause ill effects, it will be much more likely to. So this is where I say to people, you really need to watch what's running through your mind every day because, and a lot of the time when people have health problems, they're stuck in this thing, which is, you know, I'm depressed, I'm depressed, I'm depressed, I'm so down. I always feel like this. Why do I feel like this? And they beat themselves up and berate themselves up about it. And this is just feeding that negative cycle. So it's really important to have an awareness of where, how am I emotionally to start with? What are all the factors that are impacting on that? And am I being really conscious to try and shift that in a positive direction? Because it's hard work, as you know, <laughs> and as a lot of the people listening would know, it's it's tough to try and work on this stuff. It's much easier to just take a pill to work on your liver or to help you to sleep. But what's really challenging is being brave enough to look at your own stuff and to dig a little bit deeper and find out, okay, well, what's the emotional underlying cause to this? Yeah, it is. It's the courage to actually stop and sit with it. And I actually love where you you said right at uh, right at the start of that answer is where are you feeling that in your body? Where are you locating that? And so it's coming back into that that kind of experience. But also, yeah, you're right. The power of placebo. And if anyone hasn't ever heard those terms before, make sure you Google them because it, it really just alludes to the impact and the strength that your belief has on your physiology. It changes your chemical makeup in your body, which is just incredible. There's a huge amount of research and I know you are currently and have been diving into a lot of the research around gut health. We're seeing more and more books about the health of our gut and what that actually means on bookshelves. Uh, And I think it's becoming more common language, but it's also one of those areas in health that people know a little bit about it, but don't really understand it. What are you discovering about the power of gut health? And what does that mean for people when we're thinking about living living a healthy life? So gut health is phenomenal. The more I learn about it, the more incredibly fascinated I am by it. Because, I mean, naturopathically, we've always said all disease begins in the gut. And we know that there's this inherent connection between the gut and the rest of your body. So on a really basic sense, your gut is where you absorb all of your nutrients. So if the gut function isn't working, you have poor nutrition across the board, which means you have poor cellular health across the board. So from that side of things, it's really important. But the other really interesting thing is looking at the health of the microbiome which is the two to three kilos of bacteria that you have living inside of you. So the microbiome is insane. The amount of, every day there's, you know, dozens of research papers coming out around bacteria and the microbiome and, and how that affects us. But what we're really starting to understand is that there isn't any non-communicable disease. So non-communicable means not infectious. So you can't catch it from one person to another. So think anything from asthma, diabetes, cancer, heart disease, you know, migraine, headaches, epilepsy, anything like that, any disease. Um, There is not one of these diseases that isn't linked to changes in the microbiome. So it is huge. So if you could take one marker of human health across the board, it would be microbiome health over your human genetics, which is really changing 
everything. Um, all of the research that's coming out, it's, it's quite a, a burgeoning medical field because if you can imagine, like, it's always been about your genes, hasn't it? Well, my mum had that, so therefore I have to. Um, and we've been looking at more the human genetics and that potential to carry through, whereas what we know now is actually that the microbiome could potentially be even more important. So it is crazy fascinating. So what what could someone do? Because it's not something we can see, we don't... Um you know, we eat our food <laughs> and uh, might feel bloated or not. But aside from that, it, it like, and, and I, I know some of the research that is coming out is really kind of connecting to that, what that absorption is happening so that we're actually then maximising the nutrients that are getting into our body. Um, because it's true that we can actually be eating but be malnourished, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And this is where it's all well and good to be eating an amazing diet, but if you're not digesting and absorbing it, then you know, it's it sort of nullifies half of that nutrition. So you do need to be be really aware of that. So what I can say is that for some people, if you if you have digestive symptoms, you have gut problems. Okay. The symptoms aren't coming from nowhere. It'll be, for instance, with bloating that you're you have a food intolerance that's irritating or that the bacteria are fermenting certain fibers the wrong way or the diet balance is wrong. There'll be something there's something out of balance there. But for some people, they don't have any digestive symptoms, but their microbiome is still a Affected, and this is where you might need to look a bit deeper. Now, you can do testing, um, and there's a few companies, like there's one in Australia called Microba that we use, um, and that can actually map your microbiome and see how it's going. But what you want, if you can understand what damages the microbiome, you can sort of make an assumption as to the health of yours and, and how likely you are to have risk. So the biggest one is that we know antibiotics damage the microbiome, obviously. So when we're questioning our patients in the clinic, we'll be asking them questions like, did you have any childhood illnesses? Okay, so ear infections, tonsillitis, bronchitis, you know, any, anything that would warrant having antibiotics um, at all or frequently. Um, have you suffered from frequent urinary tract infections in the past or chronic sinusitis or do you get really bad chest infections or colds and flus? So this can give you a clue of how many rounds of antibiotics have you had throughout your lifetime and how likely is that to be damaged? The other thing to know is that your microbiome comes from your mother. So we inherit it from the mother as we go through the birth canal. So if you are born cesarean section, there'll be alterations with that definitely. But also if your mother had a poor microbiome because she was under a lot of stress or she had a lot of antibiotics, etc., you can sort of trace back the history and check that side of things out. Other things that damage the microbiome are stress. If you are stressed and have stress hormones pumping through your body, that will directly change the bacterial levels in your gut, which is fascinating. Um, and vice versa, if the bacterial diversity is wrong in your gut, it'll affect your ability to cope with stress and emotions, which we can talk about a bit later. And the other things that can damage the microbiome that we're now finding are non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, things like paracetamol, ibuprofen, if you take them regularly enough, can damage. So the questions I'm asking my patients are, do you have any chronic pain? So back pain, neck pain, headaches, uh, period pain every month, you know, things that would cause this repeated exposure to these. The oral contraceptive pill can damage the microbiome as well. And then the other big one, of course, is the food that we're eating. So too much sugar, too much alcohol, too much processed food, and largely not enough fibre. So if you're ticking a few of those boxes there, then I would say it might be worth testing or at the very least trying to read up a little bit about what to do about it and start using some foods and some techniques to try and really repair that microbiome and get it back on track. 
Yeah, I imagine that there's potentially a few people ticking a few things off as you're as you're speaking. Um, so that that call to looking looking further into it and what is it that you can do. Again, I'm going to use my bias as a psychologist, but come in around stress, and that's hugely mm. fascinating because antibiotics make sense from a, a chemical perspective. Um, you know, too much sugar, too much alcohol, totally makes sense when it's going through your system. And the impact of stress and emotional impact actually changing your microbiome and therefore changing what your body can absorb in order to feel healthy is incredibly fascinating. And I've certainly read some of the, the research around the connection between our gut health and our mood, our experience. What are you discovering or what's what's front of mind around some of the research and the connection between stress, mood and gut health? So let's talk about mood to begin with. Um, We know now that 80% of your serotonin, which is one of your major feel-good neurotransmitters, is made in the gut, okay, 80%. (laughs) So all of the treatments up until now have been been focused all around the brain, you know, getting serotonin levels increased in the brain, et cetera, whereas most of the actions actually happening in the gut. Your gut bacteria also produce GABA, which is like your calming neurotransmitter. So straight away, if you've got low levels of bacteria, serotonin and GABA, affected, which could lead to more depression, anxiety, feeling uneasy, that type of thing. So there's definitely that correct, that direct correlation there. So we now know that the gut sends messages to the brain and the brain sends messages to the gut bacteria, but the messages going to the brain are twofold to what's being sent back to the gut. Um, so it's it is insane. Um, it's the the way that re- the research is showing that these are microbes. It's almost like they're the human body is being looked at more of an as an ecology rather than all of these separate parts, which is of course what we are. We're holistic, but this this research is really starting to prove that. So then we've got stress that comes in, and stress is really interesting because research shows that if you're stressed, you'll have different microbe levels than if you're not. But also, you've got to think of stress in the concept of the physiological effect it has. So when people are in stress, they're often in a flight or fight state, and flight or fight is like survival mode, and in flight or fight, the body says, all I need is my muscle function. I need my brain. That's all I need. So as a result of that, digestive function, reproductive function, anything that's not essential, the body goes, well, we'll just downregulate that. So the opposite of flight or fight is called feeding and fornicating, and it's about digestion and reproduction. So one of the things that happens when we're in stress is the little pumps in your stomach that produce stomach acid to break down food will stop producing acid because the body will go, this isn't essential right now. We're in stress. We're in survival mode. Now, when you have low stomach acid, that's actually going to alter the bacterial levels in your intestines because all of a sudden there's less acids that are kind of quelling that and keeping that under check. And then then down the line, we have further problems. The other thing, if we have low stomach acid is we're not absorbing and digesting our proteins as well. So it means we the food goes into the stomach, it doesn't digest as well as it should, and then it ends up in the small intestine and it ferments. And that's where we get bloating or windy or irritation and ultimately inflammation, which impairs absorption of nutrients. So there's this sort of, this whole system going on. Um, the other thing we know about gut and mood, which is really fascinating and is brand new research, has to do with neuroinflammation. So neuroinflammation being just inflamed brain or a brain on fire is another way that they look at it. And this is where a lot of the research that's coming out now around anxiety, depression, mood orders, autism, you know, any neurological conditions is showing that neuroinflammation is a really big thing. And we know now that if the gut health is poor, and particularly if the diet is high in gluten, 
um, what can happen is you can end up with a thing called leaky gut or intestinal permeability. And then this then causes a breach of the blood brain barrier. And then you get leaky brain, which then causes neuroinflammation. So there's multiple layers of of gut brain, gut mood stuff we can, we can look at here. But the bottom line is that if you have any type of mood disorder or if you want to keep your brain healthy, you need to look after your gut. It's fascinating. And, you know, I, there's, there's even in, as I'm hearing you speak, there's two things going through my mind. One of it is feeling stressed about <laughs> how much stress can have an impact on that and some anxiety. But it's also, uh, it's almost a bit of that, aha, that totally makes sense. When you're in fight or flight, digestion is the last thing we need. That's going to shut down so, so that I'm ready to go. But we, we often aren't kind of aware of that. Now, because you're diving into a lot of this research, nor are you, you're human like the rest of us. Um, so you're not immune to, to stress and life and, and busyness. What are some of the signs for you personally? What are the things that you pay attention to to say, oh, hang on, I need to get back on track or give myself some time? What do you notice within yourself if you're starting to feel a bit stressed? I think this is an important conversation because a lot of people think that if you're a health advocate, you know, or you've got a podcast or you've written a book about health, then you're perfect all the time. And then they benchmark yourselves themselves against that and go, well, but I, you know, had some wines last week and that's not okay because I'm very human. I'm definitely not a purist naturopath. I drink wine occasionally. I have pizza sometimes. You know, I do these things because I want to live my life and I'm able to do these things because I look after myself quite well. Um, however, stress can be huge. You know, I just went on a three-week tour of the US, UK in January. I did 12 states and London in three weeks and it was epic, you know, and I got back from that and I was pretty exhausted. So my biggest things are keeping up what I call a self-care plan. And this is where I know there's a, there's a certain amount of things that I need to thrive. I need to exercise minimum every three days. So every two to three days. And if I leave it longer than that, I just don't feel good in my body. I need to sweat and move no matter how that I, I make that happen. And do I you have a particular type of exercise or length of time that you go for? Or are you trying to sweat? Like, is there a, a measure on that for yourself? So I'm a runner um, and I'm a runner because I, I don't mind running, but mostly because I can put on my shoes and go and I'm gone. So I don't have to drive to the gym. I don't have to pick a specific time for a class. So it means then there's there's less barriers to entry. Um, I'm not a natural exerciser. So I'm not someone that's like, yep, like I can't wait to go for a run today. Like I need to have that structure for it to happen. And I always feel amazing afterwards, but running would be my main go-to. Sometimes I will put on music really loud and dance crazy around my apartment and sweat. <laughs> and, um, my, and my neighbours that can see me across the um, building probably have a really good time with that. But it's just easy. Like, I, you know, I don't have to do anything. I just put on some old clothes and I sweat and I dance and it's fun. Um, sometimes I'll do yoga. Sometimes I'll do stretching. And I, and I love bushwalking. So we're both in Brisbane. I'm quite often up at Mount Cutha walking the tracks up there. Um, but I love getting out in nature too and the ocean. So that, that's what I do, a blend of all of that. But running would be my mainstay, um, probably more so than anything. Um, movement is super important. I think it's important for everyone. It's just I think where people go wrong with movement sometimes is they try and do just put a 
square peg into a round hole. <laughs> um, you need to find something that's right for you and that actually fits in with what you want to do to maintain that. And mix it up. And that's what I love around whether it's a run or a dance in your own <laughs> in your own lounge room or someone else's lounge room or whatever it is, that uh, mix it up and have a bit of play with it. Is there any other kind of non-negotiables or things that you, when you see those signs step in, you've talked about exercise and movement. Is there anything else that you pay close attention to or do to get back on track? Yeah, so obvious, obviously for me, food is is really important. And when I'm busy, I can definitely fall into the trap of not making my own lunch or, you know, not eating as well as, as I should be. Um, so that's something for me that I know I, I feel better if I can put the effort in there with that. Um, and the other thing is just trying to create space is really important for me and for everyone, I think. So I do a lot and I am busy. I, I like being busy, but it can get to the point where there's no space. And by space, I mean time where I'm not listening to a podcast or reading a book or or watching TV or doing something, yeah? It's just sitting and being. And that might be going for a walk on the beach or it might be just sitting on the balcony having a cup of tea or it might be cooking, you know, and just in that slow cathartic process without distractions or without listening to podcasts or consuming things or working. So I think creating space is really important. It just allows me to defrag. Um, Likewise, I take two or three holidays a year, you know, where I go unplug and work with that. Um, I need that. I can't function otherwise. Yeah, I've, I've, that's something I've learned in the last couple of years is actually putting time away in the calendar at the start of the year. And so then I can always change it down the track, but it's really hard to put it in when, when life starts to happen. So if it's there, inevitably I'll need it and I'll take it, which is so much more important. Oh, absolutely. And this is the thing, you need to plan your health. And if you need to put in your calendar, you know, a half an hour every day to meditate, put it in the calendar. So it's there and it happens, but you need to be in charge of that. And this is where unless you pre-plan, it just gets filled with other things. So you do need to make that space for yourself. And that, that kind of comes to that, how do we try and get out of our own way? Because it's often the thing we'll put to last or when I have time or I'll get, I'll get round to kind of going for a run somewhere else. So putting it front and centre, I think, is is really key. Do you have any other tips or strategies in the people that you work with or for yourself in, in terms of how, how can we get out of our own way? Because I think when it comes to health, people are educated, they know. Um, so it's often not about knowledge, but it's actually about the action. So how can we get out of our own way in order to put health front and centre? So can I circle this back around to that conversation we had at the start around emotional health and emotional wellness is that I have never met a person who has their emotions in check, is working on their stuff and actually loves themselves that doesn't do good things for their body most of the time. So if you're, you know, not moving and you know you should be, it's it's thinking about what are the reasons behind that? You know, what are the reasons why you're not feeling motivated? Is there a lack of joy in your life? You know, are you feeling down about something? Um, are you just filling your space with other things so you don't have to deal with things? Is it that every time you go for a walk, you st- the emotions start coming up that you don't want to deal with? So this is what I would really recommend that people do. If they know what to do and they're educated and they can see the benefit, what is the real reason why you're not doing it? Um, it's often not time. Time's an excuse that we use really easily, um, but often it's not time. Um, it's It's really interesting because if you really want to, you'll make the time. Absolutely. So the other side of the coin is that we can often be doing the right things or we're, we're setting things into place, and but we're not operating 
outside of a society. So we we are often faced with the opinions of others. So some of those might be the people that we love the most. It might be our family, it might be our friends. But sometimes those opinions are things that we're being sold to through marketing, through social media, what we think we should be doing. Um, and marketing is brilliant at telling us all the things that are making us unhappy and therefore this is going to be the thing that will make us happy. How, how do we deal with the opinions of others? And I guess that, that inception, like that, that sense of, well, I should, I should know better. I should be doing this that can come into play and, and have an impact on, you know, I guess get us off track, even if we are actually on track. I think it's really coming back down to try and get back in your own body and and make the right decisions from a place where you feel centred and you feel solid. The reason why people are swayed so much by different opinions and friends and family and all of this information that that we're thrown on us every single day is because we don't really feel solid in ourselves, and therefore our intuition and what we really need is off track. So this is coming back down to trying to get out of your head and more into your heart and, and really kind of being with that. And it's, it takes a time to do, to get to this place and it takes a lot of awareness, but it's about really sort of acknowledging what, what do I need actually? What's right for me? And the other thing is just questioning things. Okay. Well, someone said this, is this true? You know, and it does it actually ring true for me. And the other thing is that there's a lot of opinions out there. You know, I've got a book. Some of for some people it'd be great for other people. It's not the best thing. It's it's about knowing what's right for you and knowing that also there are many ways to be right. Um, and it's about finding what's right for you. But I feel like it's the most difficult to do that when you're not embodied and when you're what I, what I would say is you're functioning outside of your body. So you're functioning in stress. You're functioning in the to dos. You're functioning in the worry and the fear and the anxiety rather than actually helping to. Clear that off and getting centered and really just sitting with yourself. So one of the best ways to do that is really a regular meditation practice is really important. You know, creating that space to sit with yourself and get to know yourself is really, really important because where there's always going to be the advertisements and the friends and the opinions, it's always going to be out there, but it's your job to discern what's going to be right for you ultimately. I'm really interested in your journey to meditation because I think it's one of those things that's, that's definitely out there. It's hugely valuable but different people have their different experiences and different journeys to kind of get to meditation. How, how did you come about it? How did you find it initially and where does it help you now? So I'm going to say straight up that I, it's not something that comes naturally to me. It's hard because I'm busy and my mind is busy and I'm doing a lot of stuff all the time. So it is a real conscious effort for me to make the time to meditate and have that time out. So for me, meditation might be after I exercise that I just sit and be still and breathe for five or 10 minutes. Um, I do a lot of guided meditations actually a lot. Um, I, I quite like that. It helps me just to to unwind and go through that. So I think it's just about finding what works for you. But it's like as people who say that you can't meditate. It's, you know, walking is meditation. Just being still is meditation. Being mindful is a, is a form of meditation. So it's about just trying to bring those elements into your life in small amounts. But you do have to be conscious of doing it. And there's so many easy ways to do it. You can download apps. Um, you can watch YouTube. Like it's, we have all these free resources available to us to help us to get into that state a lot more easily. Um, on a deeper, wider set, um, once every year or two, I like to go off to Bali um, to a place called Natural Instinct Healing, which is a fasting detox retreat. And I do a 10-day fast with them. And with that, that's a lot of deep dive stuff and a lot of meditation and a lot of really 
just sitting with that. Um, and like I said, it's just creating space to be able to do that. Yeah, important to hear that variety of it, I think, because, yeah, again, a lot of people go, oh, you know, I'm not very good at it or I'm not. In it's often that contradiction around uh, mindfulness uh, meditation. I'm similar like you. My brain's running at a million miles an hour and I'll sit in doing a meditation thinking, oh, I'm not doing this particularly well. And yet it is just that space and that time and, and sometimes it is the two minutes of connecting with your breath or just moving really purposely or, or mindful, mindfully. Yeah, and congratulate yourself for, for, for taking the two minutes. Even if your mind is all over the place the whole time, you've still taken two minutes, you know. It's, so it's, it's, I think we're very hard on ourselves sometimes. Like nothing needs to be perfect. You just need to be progressive, that's all. Absolutely. I want to talk to you a little bit about having a sense of purpose. So you've described yourself as someone who is busy, there's a lot going on, but it's also something that you're clearly very lit up about, very passionate about and very kind of connected to, how important is it to have a sense of purpose in what you're doing? And I don't mean, you know, my big life purpose, but even just purpose in what I'm doing today, what I'm doing this week, what I'm doing this moment. Where have you seen that come to life for yourself, but also for the people that you work with? I think it's it's really important. And I guess at Shift um, and at Brisbane Natural Health, our Brisbane clinic, we this is something that we build into everything we do. And we call it having purpose, but also having presence. And this means that if we're going to do something, we're doing it mindfully. We're doing it for a reason and with intention. So what I find is that most people are going around life existing. So they're like a hamster on a wheel. They're going round and round. They go to work every day. They come home. They eat the same thing. They do the same stuff on the weekend. And they're just existing. They're not living their life, you know, and there's a lot of people that just stay in jobs because it's comfortable, you know, and they're, they're, they're not really happy there or they're not thriving there and these things aren't great, but they're just stuck, yeah. So, and this is where I think people get a bit confused with purpose, that, yeah, they have to be on a big mission. And I mean, I'm on a big mission in, in this life, you know, I'm looking at changing the face of health, I'm doing all this stuff, but ultimately my purpose is to really connect with people and to help them and to be and to really find new ways for people to move and shift from being stuck to unstuck, you know. So, and there's many, many different ways that I can do that. So it's, I think that it's, it's thinking about, you know, when it comes to purposes, what gives you joy? And I think that if you find something that gives you joy, that should be your purpose. Uh, and this is not happiness. We're talking joy. And joy is just a, that step up from happiness where it's that lightness and that laughter and that, you know, that real sense of um, well-being that, that we can get from that. So I think that's what people should aspire to. And they think, okay, well, what brings me joy? Well, nothing that I'm doing. Well, what's the purpose in that? What's, what is the purpose of living if, you, if you're not living a joyful life? So this is what we need to work towards. And this is where it's not overnight. You don't just wake up and go and be a joyful person today. You've got to work through the stuff and deal with all the layers and start going through that healing process and unpacking all of that stuff to find, I guess, that inner purpose for yourself. And almost going about that day just with the question in the back of the mind, going, what is it that's bringing me joy? What It might be just, uh, you know, seeing someone laugh or, you know, sharing a moment with a friend or a, and if you're just gathering that over a couple of weeks, I can imagine that would be. And I, I love where you're almost describing that as being quite a lighthearted, playful a way to approach it because I think at times we get a bit too serious around yeah. the structure and the process 
behind that. So yeah, I think that's a really uh, tangible takeaway for people to think about. What is it that brings me joy and how can I just pay attention to that this week or over the next month and how do I drive that? I love your aspiration around the big shift and the big difference that you're going to make to the world. I understand you have an audio documentary that's going to be hitting um hitting the airways for people to kind of tap into. Can you talk to me a little bit about what the documentary is about and why you're bringing that to life? So it's called The Shift and essentially it's an audio documentary series that is looking at how do we shift from A to B and the first season is on gut health so it's all gut. So I've been flying around interviewing world experts on gut health so we've got 12 episodes on everything gut and as I said it's produced audio documentary style so it's really interesting. There's some great insights there. It follows a few patient journeys as well but the idea is just to really give people a solid understanding of what is my gut, why is it important and what's really the latest research showing us. So that's going to be released as a season, 12 episodes at once um, on May 5th, 2019, which I'm really excited about. So we're just working really hard at the moment uh, in the final weeks leading up to release to get that ready. But if people want to know more about that, if they go to theshiftclinic.com forward slash gut, that's where they can find links to access that. Fantastic. We'll put all the links in the show notes so that people can jump into that because I think we've chipped on particularly around gut health. So that those kind of 12 audio um, episodes will be, you know, a fantastic start for for people to step into that. So not only with the audio documentary, as you mentioned before, you also have a clinic in Brisbane with a team of 15 people and, and uh, you know, you have your own travel and, and your own kind of health front of mind. How do you kind of, how do you and your team keep health front of mind in the work that you do for yourselves so that you can then deliver that for your clients? So we we have a set of values that we live by and uh, one of those is actually growth. Um, and so we're always looking at how do we help our clients grow? How do we work on self-growth? Like how do we work with that? Um, and that's something that's, that works right the way through my, our business. So I guess that we uh, have made this environment which is high growth for our clients, for ourselves. So we're constantly looking at our stuff and working on ourselves. But we also have an intention of having a heart-led company where we're very uh, happy to be vulnerable, we're open, we're in our bodies and we're present with, with one another. And it's something we need to work on. You know, it's not rainbows all the time because when you have 15 humans, we're all with their different stuff going on that can be challenging for sure. Um, but we go in with that intention that we're here to help people, but we also need to first help ourselves and really walk our talk and, and live that health and wellness. And we, we call it our little B&H family. You know, we're, we're very close. We, um, we've got a fantastic team there. I'm really blessed to have these guys in my life actually so we're really lucky sounds like yeah there's the support for each other but as you say it requires work and it requires the courage to kind of step up and and lean into that we alluded to before there are times you know we we can go down our path of health and i love where you sort of talked about that for, even for yourself you're not a purist that you're happy to have the pizza occasionally um but aside from that there, there can be times where we particularly with with high aspiration where things might not go the way that we had planned uh you know what we thought we might have gotten to to a certain point um we might might have fallen short a bit of our expectations how do you personally deal with what might be seen as or feel like setbacks, even though in the grand scheme of things they may not be. But how do you how do you navigate some of that that might come up for yourself? I think um, I've 
had a lot of experience in this over the years and in I've changed a lot. You know, when I first had my clinic, any, any little setback would affect me personally and it would be because it would be triggering my stuff, you know. Um, so I'll give you a good example. Um, about so our clinic's eight years old now, so probably about two years in, um, every time a team member would leave, I would take it very personally, you know, like, why aren't I doing a good job? Why don't they want to work in my clinic? Like, it would just be ridiculous, like, on reflection looking back. <laughs> um, so what really shifted for us was we got really clear on our why, what we're doing, our intentions, and why we do what we do. And as a result of that, that those type of situations just don't happen anymore. Um, but recently, we had a team member leave who'd only been with us for four months, so she just graduated, but then she decided she wanted to go back into full-time work. Um, and what I observed was, and I was in the US at the time as well, so it was kind of something I had to navigate while I was there, was that my reaction was like, well, it's okay. Obviously, that's not meant to be. The next person will come in and we'll just leave it be. So I think with experience, you get that. You just have to roll with it. And when you're in business, you have to roll with it or you just won't survive because it is constant change. And because I'm quite a creator and I'm into really creating new things, like we're Australia's only membership-based clinic. We're about to launch a virtual membership. We've just launched regional in Rockhampton. There's always new stuff going on. So there's going to be things that go wrong with that. And there's going to be forks in the road and there's going to be stuff that you didn't expect to happen. So I think you just need to look at it as a challenge and go, all right, here's a new challenge. What? How can we actually deal with this and move through this and be stronger as a result of it? Beautiful. So, so much on your horizon. What's exciting you about your own growth in terms of what's next? Oh, there's so much. Um, the stuff we're doing in regional Queensland really excites me um, just because there's such a high need for healthcare in rural areas. You know, as, as you would know, as anyone that li has lived out there, it can be really few and far between. So we're doing some really great work out there. But I guess it's really... Um, the release of Shift, um, we're rebranding our whole business to Shift. So Brisbane Natural Health will become Shift at Brisbane Natural Health. So that's quite a huge project. So I really feel like this is sort of the next stage for my business, but also personally that there's some really exciting and cool things coming. Um, I'm working on my second book as well at the moment. So there's, there's a a bit of stuff going on. Just a little, just a little. <laughs> <laughs> Look, Catherine, I so appreciate the generosity that you've shared, not only your story, but uh, your insights, your knowledge, your experience and expertise around areas of health. I want to come full circle and finish with this last question. The name of this podcast is called Standout Life. When you hear that term, what does it mean to you to live a standout life? Oh, I think it means to really be living, like properly living, like smelling the flowers, looking at the clouds, like, you know, getting joy from the things that you do every day, properly engaging in conversations, being present with people and really just doing all the things that fill your cup and surrounding you with other people that do the same. Um, and I think if you can be really conscious around this stuff and really conscious of when it's not going right, that's how we can just continue to try and push things in that direction so we can live in that experience as much as possible. Catherine, thank you so much for your time. Continue to keep sharing the stories and uh, the journey of health because I think it's a really critical message at this this time in our, our world and in, in people's lives. Um, thank you so much for your time, Catherine. You're very welcome. If you've enjoyed today's episode, then there's every chance that you might also enjoy reading a copy of my book called Stand Out, a real world guide to get clear, find purpose and become the boss of busy. 
you can grab a copy by heading to my website www.alisonhill.com.au. If you liked what you heard in this episode, I'd love it if you could take a few moments, pop over to iTunes and give this podcast a quick rating so that we can continue to share these conversations with people around the world. As always, I'm Ali Hill and this is Standout Life.